This meal was the prelude to the greatest event in history that has occurred. And it was a moment that was incomprehensible and not fully understood even by those that were closest to Jesus. The disciples were about to share in a meal that signified Christ's purpose on this earth. And as they were dining with Jesus, the Son of God, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. The disciples shared in this meal with Jesus, unaware of what the next few days would hold. Yet Jesus knew that his body and his blood would be broken and shed for the righteousness of many. And tonight, as we gather in this place around the communion table, we're able to share in a meal that signifies Christ's death and his resurrection. A meal that reminds us of his unfailing love for each of us. A love that was fulfilled through Jesus' death on a cross, where God's wrath for the sin of the world was poured out on his only son, so that we, so that you and I might become righteous before him. And for those here tonight that call Jesus King, who claim him to be the Lord of their lives, you've received the love that enables you to be called sons and daughters of the living God. You've claimed a freedom that is only offered through a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. And it's a freedom from sin and death. As we share this meal tonight, we need to be able to remember Christ's sacrifice for each of us. His body that was broken, pierced and hung on a cross in your place. His blood that was shed and spilt instead of your blood. As we share, the, as we share this meal, um, remember God's love for us. A love that enables you to have a personal relationship with him. And a love that enables you to be righteous in his presence because of his son Jesus. So tonight, let's, as we take these um, elements, let's remember um, the love of our Heavenly Father and give thanks for his amazing grace. Let us come humbly before his throne now and, and declare our need for him and, and recommit our lives to him. We want to thank God for his mercy and for his grace and we want God to take our lives and, and use them for his glory. But before we... Um, partake in this meal, um, Gail's going to come and pray for us. Let's pray. Oh, loving Jesus, we just thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We thank you so much that you came to earth, that you would stoop to show us how much you loved us by becoming flesh by walking and living amongst us so that we are able to understand that we have a God that can identify with all of our needs as you were fully human and fully God. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to reflect 
God, but you also came to redeem humanity. We thank you that you came to die on that cross for us. And now as we come to remember and to celebrate that incredible sacrifice, we also remember that you didn't just remain there, that you, you actually were resurrected. You, you rose again. And in doing so, you say in your word that um, we died with you, but we were raised to life with you. And that life now lives within us, each and every one of us that have come to know you. Oh, Lord, such knowledge is too wonderful, too amazing. We do bow in adoration and awe at the marvellous gift that you've given to us, your life, as we celebrate your, your death and your life in this communion table here tonight. Lord, as we come to partake of your body and your blood symbolically, Lord, may we never, ever forget the marvellous cost that it was, but also the marvellous life that we now have as you live and reign in us. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. The meal that we're um, about to share in is, is for those that call Christ their Lord. It's for those that, um, that have come before God and said, I need you. And, um, and so is the, is the bread and um, the, the wine is passed around. For those that, uh, that, that are committed to Christ, then, then take then take of each. And um, for those that might be visiting here, um, or uh, don't call Christ their own, uh, aren't in relationship with Jesus, then we just ask that you let these um, uh, elements just pass, pass you by. So, but uh, as the bread comes along, then uh, we ask you to, to eat that in your own time. And uh, remember that Jesus said that this is my body, uh, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as, the, uh, as you receive the cup as well, just hold on to that and, uh, and we will all drink of that together. So the um, guys will come up now and, and serve you.
In the same way, Jesus, the living Son of God, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. So let's drink together. Too much drinking coffee, I reckon. Why don't we pray? Our God, we just ask now that as we um, open your word up, uh, we just ask that you would speak to us, God. And uh, soften every heart in this building and every mind make attentive and keen to hear from you, God. And may words that just come out of Phil Weeks' mouth that aren't from you, God, may they just be dismissed. And may your words penetrate deeply within us. That we might be transformed and go out of here desiring to live more and more for your glory in the world. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you've no doubt uh, heard the saying, you reap what you sow. You don't have to uh, think hard to find examples of uh, this saying in life. You reap what you sow. You just look around and you can see examples of it coming about. You reap what you sow. So some examples are the study patterns of a university student. And uh, if you're sowing with procrastination, you won't go as good as the person sowing in conscientiously and disciplined. They'll be the person who reaps, uh, you know, kind of a prosperous career and pursuing and like nailing their chosen field. What about a father-son or a father-daughter relationship? The absent father that sows into that relationship with his Absentness. And uh, later on, reaps the harvest of uh, not knowing who his kid is and having a son or a daughter who doesn't really want to spend time with them anymore. What about a cigarette smoker? And I don't want to make anyone feel dodgy if you smoke here tonight. And if you smoke, you later reap uh, the ill health that results. Or uh, let's take an unforgiving individual that is wrong during their life and they get wronged again and wronged again and they never forgive and they never let go. And that person will well reap the harvest of bitterness and anger later on in their, in their life. What about a husband and wife relationship? And they sow with great communication when it's hard and sacrificial love. Just that's the mark of their marriage, their relationship, day in, day out. Later to reap a harvest of a strong, committed, joyful, loving marriage. There are so many examples of ways that we can sow in our lives and then later reap the harvest for. And uh, good, we can reap, or we can also reap uh, bad as well. When it comes to your Christian faith, your relationship with God, the saying is also true. 
you reap what you sow. So what I would love for us to think about this evening are two very linked questions. First one, what are you sowing? And then the second, what therefore are you going to reap for your efforts? What are you sowing and what are you going to reap? Well, tonight it's the second last one of our Galatians series. And uh, we missed a couple because of the last two guest um, kind of speakers, which has been great. We're kind of jumping to Galatians 6, verses 1 to 10. And if you've got your Bibles there, it'd be great to grab that out and follow along. And let me plug that every time I get up here. If you're a regular that comes to church here, um, bring your Bibles along. It's a really, really good thing to do. That way you can say, that's not true, and throw tomatoes at me or something. Galatians 6, 1 to 10, and if someone's got a Bible next year, lean over, get cosy. Not too cosy, I've seen it, all right? Galatians 6, verses 1 to 10. Brothers, if, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritually, spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Before we um, have a look at this text, just want to place it in the context of the rest of uh, Galatians. This passage is part of a larger letter that a fellow called Paul, an early church leader, wrote to the church in Galatia, the province of Galatia. Galatia is like modern-day Turkey or thereabouts. And in the church that he's writing to, there have been a number of problems that have arisen for that particular church. The church in Galatia appears to be living out of step with what God wants them to do. So Paul writes to encourage them to kind of like get back in step. In the paragraph immediately before what we're looking at tonight, Paul writes the following in verse 24. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul's writing and he's saying to the people um, that when you gave your life to Jesus, to the church in Galatia, when you gave your life to Jesus, the old life, when you ignored God, that sinful nature, it was put to death. It was killed. The old life with its sinful passions and desires was crucified just like Jesus. The old life died. And now the new life, you've been given the Spirit, 
And now you live in step with the very Spirit of God. So Paul says, get back in step. So the problem for the church in Galatia was that even though they'd put their sinful nature to death and were in part seeking to live in step with God, they now risk kind of slipping back into uh, the old sinful way of life. So Paul's saying, guys, just want to encourage you to walk back in step again. And in into this context of writing this letter of encouragement for the church in Galatia, Paul now introduces this metaphor, the metaphor of sowing and reaping, that a person reaps what they sow. So if you look down with me to verse 7, we read, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Two ways of sowing, two corresponding harvests to reap. The first way, sow to please the sinful nature. The harvest, destruction or hell. The second way, sowing to please the Spirit. And that has a harvest of eternal life. Now, a little closer look at the letter reveals that uh, reveals actually what sowing in the sinful nature looks like. So, if you glance back to verse nineteen, we read about the acts of the sinful nature. Paul says they are obvious, and he says these are what they are: sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Debauchery is like yielding to sexual pleasure. Idolatry, loving other things above God, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Sowing to please a sinful nature would look like investing time, investing energy, Investing thought, investing action into any of these pursuits. Actively sowing into it. Intentionally investing into these areas. I'll read them again. Sexual immorality. Impurity and debauchery. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. If we're to reflect on our lives, is there any area, is there any area that we are sowing into, intentionally investing into something of this kind of stuff? Time, energy, thought or action. Is there any area that you're sowing to please a sinful nature? Let me say it straight that those people sowing into this kind of stuff of the sinful nature, they'll reap a harvest of destruction. Those people who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified that sinful nature 
with its passions and desires. It's dead. We've got to leave it dead and endeavour to live by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit of God that lives in you. I think sometimes people can find, uh, can kind of convince themselves that they're actually pretty good at keeping secrets. At least from people, they might think they're good at keeping it. So you might be sowing and investing into some stuff that you know is dodgy, but you persist anyway. And when they're in the presence of friends, you are very good at keeping it quiet or diverting the conversation away from the subject or maybe even flat out lying about it. Your friends and family have probably got no idea, but God is not clueless. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And my guess is that if you or I are sowing into pleasing the sinful nature, it will eventually become very clear to those around you as well. I like the image of uh, two people standing side by side. They've been both given, they've both been given a, a task of producing corn because the boss wants corn. In front of them is a large patch of cultivated dirt. All nice, freshly dug up. It has no weeds and it's nicely mulched, except for little spots around the place. Underneath the soil is seed that's been sown. And the one who has sown it, he looks at the other guy and he goes, mate, I've planted like heaps and heaps of corn in this field. The other person has no idea what's planted and he goes, nice one. Then the crop begins to grow and it looks nothing like corn. It looks more like spreading pumpkin vine and it's growing everywhere. The one who planted the crop says, check out my corn, mate. The one who's looking at his mate says, doesn't look like corn to me. Thought corn went straight up, not like spreading everywhere. To which the other replies, no, nah, mate, it's corn. Sure enough, in time, it all becomes very clear because what's hanging off the plant is kind of yellow and corn-looking. Um, it's not, sorry, it's not yellow and corn-like. Got very confused there with that weird role play. <laughs> Doing my head in. It's not corn-like, it's not yellow. It's actually orange and decidedly pumpkin-looking. What are you sowing, people? What are you sowing? Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please a sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Well, what does sowing to please the Spirit look like? Look with me back at verse 9. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The sowing metaphor continues. Is sowing in doing good. That's what sowing to please the Spirit looks like. Sowing 
to uh, doing good. Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Well, I guess the old saying that says uh, Christians are a bunch of do-gooders is officially true. I wonder if you and I are intentionally doing good in our lives. So we spend days walking around, sowing, sowing, doing good here, sowing, sowing, doing good there, sowing, sowing, doing good everywhere. Sowing to please the Spirit is doing good. Of course, it must be made very clear at this point that doing good uh, is not the way of beginning friendship with God. Doing good will never get you into heaven. Doing good won't, you get, won't get you into the presence of a great and perfect God. The only way that happens is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's through repenting of the old way of life and turning around and living in obedience to God. This is a person who sows to please the Spirit, someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. Sowing to please the Spirit is doing good. Well, if Paul says that, you know, it's doing good that actually pleases the very Spirit of God, which is kind of an amazing thing to contemplate, the question needs answering is, where should we focus our attention when it comes to doing good? What do we do when we do good? Well, verse 10 makes that clear. Therefore, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Where should we focus our attention at? Answer? People. Now, this may seem ridiculously obvious. You're going like, why am I so thinking about this? It's like, mm. <laughs> But the impression I get more and more is that Christians are not actually focused on doing good to other people. We actually are heavily weighted towards ourselves. We actually have a distorted view of personal holiness. So we read this that we must sow to please the Spirit by doing good. And our minds go straight toward personal holiness, a distorted view of it anyway. So we're told to do good, and we think about the things we should do in our life and the things that we shouldn't do in our life. Things that we shouldn't do like, okay, don't swear, don't get drunk, don't sleep around, don't lie, don't cheat on tests, don't get angry at people, and definitely don't punch someone in the face. And then things that we should Try and do. So we think, okay, personal holiness, right? Okay, I've got to read the Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to come to church. I've got to be nice to people. You know, I've got to smile at them. We're told to be good. And so we might think doing good is about becoming more personally holy. So we focus on this stuff and try and get better at me being personally holy. Now, all this might be good and right. And God definitely wants us to be holy, Because being holy is actually mean like being completely set apart for God. Set apart for God and for doing what God wants us to do. That's being holy. Setting apart to God so that God would use you instead of just kind of doing your own thing. But personal holiness without, uh, pursued without thinking about other people. Now that's, that's a problem. 
taken to the extreme, will lead you to becoming a brother or a sister in a monastery or a convent. It will lead you away from people, up to a big hill, monking it up with your monk brothers and your nun sisters, all by yourself. Paul says, you want to sow to please the Spirit, you want to sow to please God, do good to all people as we have the opportunity. Real personal holiness has at its focus doing good to people. I think this is radical. We can uh, read in the previous verses about the fruit of the Spirit and we can somehow make them primarily about me. I'm skating on thin ice, I realise, but like they're, they're good for, for uh, my personal good. Fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that sort of stuff. It's good for my, it's for my personal benefit. It's for my personal enjoyment. I'll, get, I'll enjoy life better if I'm like this. Where I think Paul is saying the purpose of the fruit of the Spirit is for that, but it's like for other people. I think what Paul is saying is so radical because it smacks against our natural tendency to focus on our own well-being. Focusing so much on ourselves that even our spirituality becomes self-focused with minimal outworking toward loving other people. Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is Paul's heart. It's also the heart of Jesus. When you read, about, uh, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you don't need to read far before you come into these moments, these situations where Jesus loves people in very real and practical and tangible ways. It's all through the Gospels, whether it be having compassion on a crowd that goes without food or whether it be defending a woman caught in adultery or whether it be spending time with outcasts of society and then being labelled an outcast himself. He's doing good everywhere as he walked the earth. I can't see Jesus walking around, spending the majority of his time thinking about how holy he needs to be and thinking about how he needs to read a Bible and he needs to pray and not trying to be overcome by alcohol and flirtatious women and other sin and, and Jesus walking around in what could end up being this little kind of cocoon. Jesus does these things and he, and he models prayer and, and the importance of the scriptures and, and not sinning and being righteous. But Jesus is also a man of action, seeking to love and do good to all people when the opportunity presents itself. This, this uh, truth that sowing to please the Spirit is people-centred, I love it because it really... Um, gives me something very tangible that I can go out and do, that I can go out and really sink my teeth into. What does God require me to do now that I follow Jesus? Well, he says it's clear. It's clear. Follow the way of Jesus. Read uh, about Jesus in the Bible. Study him. Follow his example. Love and do good to people. Proactively work toward righting injustice around you. 
Proactively share the way that people can have a relationship with God. Proactively do good to people. No follower of Jesus, no Christian need to be confused about what God wants you to do. Sowing to please the Spirit is doing good to all people. Paul in this passage um, begins and he has like two scenarios um, that I see as being great examples for how uh, we as believers can do good to other people. Two examples. The first one comes in verses 1 to 5. If you look back there with me, that would be great. Verse 1 reads, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. The first example relates to a brother or sister who's been caught in sin. Here there's a little model set up about how a person can, you know, how a believer can love and care and support a believer who sins. It's a very practical way of us doing good. So let's have a look at it. Firstly, in verse 1, it says, Have a spiritual person, a mature follower of Jesus, seek to restore him gently. This person, so if you are a spiritually mature person, I want to ask someone else about that as well as making your own judgment. Um, this person seeks to talk to them, seeks to counsel them and help them return to the way of Jesus. And I love those words, restore gently. It seems that restoring a person gently is not for everyone. It's only for a spiritually mature person. If you are not spiritually mature, it's probably more your role to uh, refer them on, encourage them to talk to someone else, um, not to counsel them. You need to move them to a spiritually mature person. But there is something for us if we're uh, not that mature. In verse 2, we read where to carry each other's burdens. Now, a prime way I think we can do that is by praying for our brother or sister and also listening but being very, very wise about how you kind of come alongside that person. Entrusting the counselling, though, to a spiritually mature person, to, for them to restore gently. Now, there's a bit of a warning there. Also, it's good to, if you look at restoring someone from sin. It says um, we must be very careful. Um, Paul places five, oh, in these five verses, there's like warning after warning after warning. And it's just good to be aware of this too. So in verse 1, it says, Watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Then it said, think objectively about yourself, so don't get too proud about where you sit because you might fall. Test your own actions. Don't compare yourself. And then carry your own load. And the warning all relates to being very careful so that you don't sin in the process. So there's one example we can take. Do good to other believers when they're caught in sin. And there's a bit of a pattern for the mature and the not so mature in faith. I wonder, is there someone around you that God might be prompting you to love in this way. It requires great, great wisdom. Are you the spiritually mature person? 
that needs to seek to restore someone gently? Or are you the person who needs to pray for the person and maybe refer them on to a spiritually mature one? Is there someone around you that maybe God's prompting you to do this with? It's very practical, eh? Doing good to other believers when they're caught in sin. The second example is in verse 6. It reads, Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. When Paul uh, wrote this, he wasn't referring to himself as the instructor. Like saying, come on guys, show me the money, you know. Now he was writing to tell the local believers of that church that they should um, give generously to those people in their local area that, um, that they relied upon for their encouragement from the word of God. Question is, who are you to share all good things with? Who are they that instruct you in the Bible in the word of God? Who are they that encourage you in your faith? Now, I find it a challenge talking about money. I find it a challenge to encourage people, would you believe, to give to the church. But when we're 11% under budget, a very tight and wisely developed budget, doing good to people in this area seems to have special relevance for us here tonight. It's worth talking about. It's worth getting a bit uncomfortable about. Let me be straight to the point. Do you give of your material wealth to those who spend their time, who spend their time and energy in teaching you and encouraging you from the word of God? Do you give? As a pastor here at the church, my heart and desire is to see two things. I want to see people come to a living faith in Jesus Christ and I want to see that person grow in their faith to become more like Jesus. That's my passion that I die for. Central to this is teaching and instructing people in the word. Now, I can tell you it straight out, I don't do it for money. But as a pastor, just like you, I need it to live. Giving money to a pastor, to a teacher... It frees them up. There's no doubt about it. I'm free in my role to actually go about and and spend as much time as I possibly can in encouraging people. If I had to work, I would be spending half my time in that. So being paid releases me for that. Coincidentally, I want to say also that I give back to the church because I also seek to do good to those who instruct me in the word. Anyway, it's a tough subject but one we really need to wrestle with, that we can do good in this way. And this is kind of Paul urging us, share all good things with your instructor. Now, there are many ways that we can do good to people. We don't need to simply focus on two that are in the text for tonight. Every day, if our eyes are open, locally and globally, um, we are presented with opportunity after opportunity from God to do good. Now, I could list an array of ways we could do good. I could list them all right now. You could listen, and then you could determine which ones you want to have a crack at in the coming week. That would be the easy way. It would also be the kind of grade one primary school way as well. I think we are in this room tonight, 
all so very creative and intelligent that we are mature enough to work this out for ourselves. You know what I think our main challenge is as people to do good? Do you know what I think the main challenge is we have? I think it's our self-focused Christianity. I think that's our main problem. And I think the challenge I want to put out to you tonight, one of them, is that somehow, if you have a self-focused Christianity, somehow get that deconstructed. Somehow get that smashed. And in its place, to have built a new way of life. A new way of life that follows the way of Jesus. Of knowing Jesus and of doing good loving and serving people, practically loving people out there into the kingdom. Perhaps the change we need most is to go from loving myself in the kingdom to actually, uh, to add to that, should I say, to add to that loving others outside the kingdom and then loving those outside the kingdom into the kingdom. If this change were to take place, I believe that more and more on a daily basis, we would see the opportunities, and not only would we see them, but we would take them. Paul says, sowing to please the Spirit is doing good to all people. When I first got married to Michelle, um, we lived in Ascot Vale in Melbourne, and I got really keen, and I made myself a veggie patch. I dug up the dirt, I boxed in my little veggie plots, I don't know what you call them, planted seed and then I kind of lovingly laid newspaper around them and put mulchy kind of pea straw on it. And I planted lots of great veggies, some of you will hate these, but anyway, zucchini, corn, tomatoes, melons, snow peas, and the zucchinis, I'll tell you, they went to like that, it was massive. I think they're called something else when they get that big, but they were big. It was fun eating that food. I also grew carrots, and they turned out quite demented looking. They actually had like multiple pronged kind of carrots. I don't know if anyone does like agriculture here, could probably tell me why. That made me worry a little bit, because all this good food I'd been eating, I thought, man, what's in the dirt makes my carrots do that? (laughs) Anyway, I'm all right after it. As we conclude, I'd like you to cast your mind back to the image of that veggie patch. To the story I told about the two people standing next to each other looking at this lovely patch of dirt. Have you got it? How creative are you? How imaginative are you? Okay, back at this little veggie patch. You're one of the people there. This time, yeah, it's your veggie patch. And standing next to you is your mate, Jesus. In your heart and mind, what are you sowing? Are you sowing to please the sinful nature? Or are you sowing to please the Spirit of God? I wonder what Jesus thinks about your veggie patch. Let's, with God's help, become a church that sows more and more and more and more to please the Spirit, by taking every opportunity that presents itself, by deconstructing our self-centered, 
form of Christianity. Hour by hour, day by day, doing good to all people. Let me conclude with verse 7 and 8 of tonight's passage. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please a sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please a spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we um, just come before you and uh, break our hearts, God. Reveal to us our reality. Reveal to us if we're uh, kind of sowing the wrong stuff and thinking we're getting away with it. Our Spirit of God, lead us so we can get back in step with you, God. Spirit of God, help us be lovers of people, of people that um, we can do good to, God. Our Father, and where we've got a self-centered Christianity, oh God, please just change us, God. Change us and help us um, build a new one where it's a new way of life and that's following the way of Jesus and the way he lived. Oh God, would you do that to us here in this building? Oh God, but do it to us so that we can take it out there, God. So it's just not about us. So it's about the world. It's about us doing good to them so we can help them into the kingdom. Oh, Father God, have your way with us. Be glorified through us, not just on Sunday night, but in the rest of the week too, Father. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.